where we win your can say meet back here most very after be the time. We knew that La Rose was one of our adopted schools, uh, but we really didn't know much about what was going on down here. So my wife Sherry wanted to go, and so I went with her. Uh, I was a little nervous about coming to an inner city school and uh, had heard a lot of stories about schools, uh, and I was wrong. Uh, I have to admit, I just my, uh, my heart was changed when I came down here. We as a group, uh, and me individually, uh, tutor second grade students here uh, in reading abilities. Our goal is to teach the children to recognize uh, 1,000 words on the fry list. Many will not achieve that. They will not get to 1,000 words. But hopefully they'll improve their pretest score. Uh, both of my students uh, improved significantly. The first one uh, scored very low uh, initially on his pretest score. But after uh, several sessions, uh, he started improving. And he probably was the most improved student here. Did you know a lot of words at the beginning of the year? Not really. He didn't get 100 words on his pretest. Uh, by the time this thing was over, he was, he, his post-test score was, I think, 987, which means he almost finished 1,000 words in his post-test. And I'm so very proud of him. My second student, uh, was he did very well on his pretest. And he did really well on his post-test. And he, I called him my, uh, my genius student because he was so smart. And I started reading and I started getting a few mistakes, but I got through it and I got to 1,000 words. It helped me read, read chapter books and more big books. They were, they were both just very smart kids. Uh, I was impressed with them. I think they'll do very well in school. This has become my passion, I think. Uh, Instead of being critical of the schools and of the situation, uh, it's in my heart now to, to do what I can for children. All the tutors that are involved, they all say the same thing. They're all just very passionate. They love these kids. Uh, they're praying for their success. And they're just uh, hoping and hoping that they will become better readers. And that reading is going to help them throughout their life. When kids uh, aren't reading by the fourth grade, their chance of success in life is very poor. So this is their hope. If you're not involved in something like this, you need to be. Uh, instead of uh, complaining or criticizing, do something. Get involved. Education matters. Education matters. And those those boys love Larry, and Larry loves those boys really, really well. So let, let me start with a question this morning, and I want you to think about it with me. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? 
if, if I was going to, if I was going to define that really broadly, as, kind of as broadly as I can, I think I'd say the gospel is the way that God is glorified through his son, Jesus, and through his creation, you and me. That's really broad. And in fact, that, that definition, the first two words, the way, have been defined in a lot of ways. You know, books and books have been written about well, what is the gospel. There are, there are four books just in our New Testament called gospels, and each is a little bit different. I think the truth is that the gospel is something like a, like a stained glass window. You know, each, each pane is a different color and each, each pane on its, on its own is beautiful. But when you step back and you kind of see the whole thing and you take in its breadth, you're just kind of overcome by it. I think the gospel is something like that. I think one of the beautiful pieces of the gospel is the way that Jesus in his death and resurrection defeats the stuff that keeps you and me from living to our full potential. The New Testament views that stuff is really active and hostile to you becoming who in God you should be. In fact, the New Testament calls that stuff the powers, the powers that be. In Ephesians, we read that when Jesus died and was resurrected by the power of God, that God raised Jesus from the tomb and then kept raising him far above all rule and authority, power, that's the word, powers, and dominion in every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet. So if you were an Ephesian reading this for the first time, this would be a really big deal to you because you're a Gentile, which is the Bible's words for people who aren't Jews. And you know that if you wanted to get close to God, you couldn't. The God's in his temple and around the temple is this wall that you have seen many times. And on that wall are signs that says, if a Gentile crosses this wall, they'll be killed on the spot. You know that that wall then, well, it's, it's earthly proof of what must be a spiritual reality, a barrier that is keeping you from God himself. But Paul says, oh, don't worry about that wall anymore. Jesus has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility, he says. That's the wall he's talking about. And now through him, lean in because this is the gospel, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So the gospel here in Ephesians is that God is most glorified when, when Christ sacrifices himself why? So that the barriers to the fullest human potential in God the Father and in Christ Jesus will come crumbling down. So if you're going to ask yourself then, well, how, how would I live out that gospel? You can't answer that question without acknowledging, apparently, I need to take down some walls. Apparently, wherever I see walls that are limiting human potential, I need to be concerned. Which I think is what Larry Reed's doing every week down at LaRose Elementary for Jeterius and Rolando. He is, he is living out the gospel for them for an hour each week, destroying barriers that are limiting their potential. 
So here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a step back, though, and I want you to ask, what does the gospel then, if that's, if that's the gospel we're working with here, what does that have to do with education? Why should Christians care about education? That's a question that Christians have been asking for a long time. So in the late 18th century, so 1700s, in Europe, this was before daycare and really even public school system, right? So kids, most, most kids grew up in working poor families. The rich affluent were few. So most kids had no choice but to go to the factories or mills with their parents. And they would typically go six days a week from sunup to sundown, long days. And once they're about five or six and can take instructions, they begin working in those factories and mills themselves. So Christians had this, had this novel idea, okay? Uh, Sunday school is what they called it. Anybody ever heard Sunday school before? Yeah, this is where it comes from. What they decided is that they would take these kids who have no other time to learn to read and they would teach them to learn to read on Sundays, the one day of the week they didn't go into the factories or mills, using the Bible. Which ironically is the same way that we teach those for whom English is their second or third language in our Friends Speak program. That's how we teach them to read the Gospel of Luke. We use the Bible. We're doing, there's nothing new under the sun. Right? We're doing the same thing they did. I mean, if, if you're having a hard time with this, anybody watch Downton Abbey in here? Yeah, so the people upstairs got to learn and lounge in big libraries with private tutors, and the people downstairs were too busy for all that. So Christians started Sunday school. Uh, one of the founders of Churches of Christ, like the one that you're sitting in, was a guy named Alexander Campbell. And Alexander Campbell believed you cannot have a good society without education. You just can't have it. So he started Bethany College, which was a college to teach preachers the Bible, but it also taught, taught grammar and math and history and philosophy and science. And Campbell was also one of the earliest people to advocate for women and slaves being educated as well. Alexander Campbell, founder of Churches of Christ. Today, Barner reports that a half of American teachers are Christian, two-thirds of American school volunteers are Christian, and 85% of Christians in America believe that we should get involved in helping public education, the education in our city. So apparently Christians for a really long time have decided that you cannot live out the gospel of Jesus Christ without investing in education. So you might be thinking here, but isn't the gospel about my potential in Christ and not just my potential? Nicole Baker Fulham leads this organization called the Expectations Project. And essentially what they do is they help people of faith get involved in the school systems, kind of like what Larry Reed has done at LaRose and many other volunteers. It's this really great organization doing good stuff. But one day this blogger, you know, only the best stuff is on blogs. And uh, this blogger posted about this kind of hypothetical critique of her organization from the imaginary perspective of one of the students that she's helped. And so the blogger says, you helped improve our schools, but we're going to hell. In other words, my potential in Christ is all that matters and is totally unrelated from my potential in this life. Really? Um, scientists, social scientists did this study recently that I heard about. 
there was a study of sugarcane farmers in India. And sugarcane farmers in India kind of make the perfect test group for this because they get paid once a year, right after the harvest. So right after the harvest, they have a lot of money. And then right before the harvest the next year, they're basically poor. Because most of us, if we only got paid once a year, would have a really hard time kind of budgeting that out for the whole year. So at one point in the year, they have a ton of resources. And at the other point in the year, they have no resources. And what these social scientists want to know is, how does that affect your thinking? Okay, when you have a lot and when you don't. So they're testing the cognitive capacity of these sugarcane farmers. And what they discovered was really staggering. So right after the harvest, when they have a lot of resources, they're capable of solving complicated problems, planning for the future, thinking in depth, making difficult decisions. But at the end of the year, when they don't have those resources, they're like different people, okay? Not capable of thinking about anything other than the resources they don't have. So what they call this is scarcity, this phenomenon. So if I say something scarce, it means it's in short supply. So, so the phenomenon of scarcity is being short on something. And what these scientists discovered is that scarcity is this power that's working on you. And when you think you don't have enough of something, many of you can testify to this, it literally becomes all you can think about. Whether that's money or sleep or time or education, we literally can't think of anything else when we think we're lacking something, which means we're enslaved by scarcity, that it's a power. In the words of the New Testament, we would say it's one of the powers leveraging control over us. It's a barrier. After the Civil War, there was this guy named David Lipscomb. Anybody ever heard that name before? David Lipscomb, also one of the early leaders in Churches of Christ. Uh, a college with his name is in that other city in Tennessee. And um, so David Lipscomb is one of the leaders in Churches of Christ. And after the Civil War, Southern Church of Christ members are starving to death, literally, because the economy in the South is devastated, starving along with most other Southerners, right? And so he begins to send these appeals to the North, to Northern brothers and sisters, Church of Christ members in the North, to send money to the South to help feed his brothers and sisters in the South and churches of Christ. And he gets this response from a guy in Missouri who says he's got the money, but he can't decide whether to send Bibles or bread. And so Lipscomb writes back in the Gospel Advocate. Anybody ever read Gospel Advocate? Remember that? He writes back and he says, our, our response is, as highly as we appreciate the Bible and its necessity to the temporal and spiritual well-being of man, a loaf of bread today in the name of Christ would do more in opening the hearts of our Southern people to the reception of the gospel than any number of Bibles, tracts, or preachers. Send bread now, brethren, and afterwards the Bibles and the preachers which as a preacher, I'm a little offended by that, but you probably get it, right? He sounds actually a bit like Paul, the apostle Paul, who said that he was only gonna preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. But we know that Paul spent a great deal of time raising money for a church in Jerusalem where people were literally starving to death because of a famine. So either Paul was lying about what he was preaching about, or he believed there was a deep connection between the well-being and potential of a person and the cross of Jesus Christ. 
that if we don't deal with the power of scarcity, spiritual walls that might come down might not. So that's why LaRose volunteers, maybe you might not know this, spend every Wednesday night down here in the dungeon, which is this room right behind here. You don't want to get trapped back there. Spend every Wednesday night filling backpacks full of food for kids at LaRose to take home on the weekend because many of them don't have stable food sources on the weekend. So if, if they don't send these backpacks full of food, these kids show up on Monday morning and I think any educator in here would tell you trying to study math or reading on Monday morning when you haven't eaten all weekend is a non-starter. It's not going to happen. Just like studying the Bible would be. Jesus says in John 10 that the thief, the thief, comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So some churches have been guilty of saying, well, Jesus is talking about heaven here. He's talking about eternal life, but he's not. <laughs> he's not talking about heaven here in John 10. He's talking about life right now, that your life right here, right now would be as full as it can be. But the glaring reality is that in our world, our potential to live our life to the fullest depends really heavily on our education. Um, I was at a, a meeting, it was actually about mentoring in Memphis a couple years ago, and one of the presenters said, she said that prison officials determine the number of prison beds they will need in the future based on third grade reading levels in their city. That if a child can't read on grade level by third grade, they'll need a prison bed for them by the time they're 17 to 20. I was blown away by that. So I looked into it. It turns out that's a myth. It's not true. But it could be true. So that's what's really sad about it. Uh, John Hudson, who writes for The Atlantic, did, compiled the results from a couple different educational surveys. And so let me, let me just run some figures by you. He discovered in one study, a student who can't read on grade level by third grade, so the students that Larry and others at LaRose are working with, a student who cannot read on grade level by third grade is four times less likely to graduate, more likely to drop out. If you add poverty to the mix, that student is 13 times less likely to graduate than his or her comfortable or wealthy peer. Okay, and, and then a third study, about one in 10 high school dropouts, male high school dropouts in America is in prison or juvenile detention, one in 10, compared to one in 35 of those who graduate. Okay, so let me try to summarize, summarize that for you. If you cannot read by third grade, your chances of dropping out of school increase dramatically. Okay. If you drop out, your chances of going to prison increase dramatically. And if you are living in poverty, your chances of both go through the roof. So education matters because all of God's children deserve a life to the full. And what we know is that education is going to be the ticket to that life for some, and it's going to be the barrier to that life for others. Okay, so that's why Highland supports Macon Hall Elementary. That's why we support 
LaRose Elementary downtown. Okay, that's why we support Hope Works, which is in charge of all of the high school equivalency training for all of West Memphis, like you heard from Ron Wade last week. Okay, that's why we support Friendspeak, which teaches those for whom English is a second or third language to read in English. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to persuade you to give this morning. I feel like you've probably decided what you're going to give. What I'm trying to do is to remind you why you're giving. Right? Because the gospel of Jesus cannot stand barriers to human potential. And when we join God and knocking some of those barriers down, what we are doing is living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. This year at LaRose Elementary, 59 kids that Highlanders mentored improved their reading level, like Jeterius and Rolando that you saw there. Okay, 59 kids. That may just sound like a number to you, but those numbers represent kids whose lives are changed, whose potential is dramatically different than when they started mentoring with that Highlander. Okay, and what those Highlanders have done is sacrificed some of themselves so that somebody else can reach their potential. And if that's not the gospel, I don't know what is. Uh, let me finish with a story. My mom had this uh, habit of writing down in this little journal things I said as a kid that I wish she hadn't written down. And um, when I was in second grade, she's got the date on this. We were riding in the car and my sister who's three years older, so she was in fifth grade, was reading something out loud for us in the car. And she was stumbling over what she was reading. And so uh, me being the smart aleck that I was, I said, Megan needs that reading thing. You, you know, that program It starts with an F. And mom looked at me and she said, you mean phonics? <laughs> I said, yeah, that's the one. It starts with an F. For the record, phonics starts with a PH. Um, you know, I was talking to my mom about some of this. I, I've, been, I've been doing some reading about kind of the importance of reading and education. I was talking to my mom about it the other day. I was telling her about, you know, how important it is to be reading by third grade. And she said, Eric, you, you know that you couldn't read when you started second grade? Which caught me by surprise because, you know, I figure that I'm always the smartest person uh, in any room. kind of caught me off guard. I said, no, I didn't know that. She said, yeah, you couldn't read. You know, your dad and I tried everything we could. Every night we would work with you for hours and we just could not make any progress. I was afraid you might have some kind of learning disability. Didn't really know what to do. But you had this teacher, Mrs. Yates, in second grade. And I remember Mrs. Yates. So what you probably don't remember is that Mrs. Yates started working with you for an hour after school every day. And when you started second grade, you couldn't read. And I'll never forget Christmas because at Christmas time, you read the Jesus story out loud at Christmas. Shall so never forget that. You could read by Christmas time because Mrs. Yates. You know, reading has changed my life. It really has. I got my degree in college on a book, the Bible. And I spend most of my life trying to live out the model of Jesus that I find in that book. And I spend most of my days preparing to share the good news as I read about it in that book, even though I know you think I only work on Sundays. <laughs> you know, reading has changed my life. 
And Mrs. Yates, didn't, didn't, she didn't preach the gospel to me, but she modeled it for me. You know, she recognized that for me, there was a significant barrier that was going to determine my future. And so she set about knocking it down. Again, I'm not trying to persuade you of anything. I'm trying to remind you that when you give here in just a moment after I pray, you give to raise this $190,000 for this outreach contribution. And what you're doing for kids like Jeterius and Rolando is knocking those barriers down. And when you do that, you are living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are sacrificing yourself so that someone else can reach their fullest potential. And that's the gospel right there. Let's pray and we're gonna take this special offering as we watch a video here in a minute. Let's pray. Holy God, you are a good and gracious God. You're a loving and kind, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. God, we praise you for the way in which you did not leave Jesus in the tomb, but by your power brought him back from death, raised him and put him far above all rulers and authorities, powers and dominions. And by that act of power, God, you destroyed the dividing wall of hostility, thereby welcoming us to you so that we might reach our fullest potential in you and in your son, Christ Jesus. God, we pray that same blessing for every child in Memphis, every Hope Work student, every immigrant in French speak, every, every person that any Highlander interacts with, God, really all of this city and all of the world. We pray that they might know your goodness and grace and live into their fullest potential because of it. And God, I pray a prayer of thanksgiving for the generous hearts in this room and for the way in which they're participating in your gospel this morning. We give you praise, and I pray all that in the name of Jesus. Amen.